Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Scherzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Valiant Dorian plays Vasca, a Yuanti Bard. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Cotter, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sitlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include complex and complicated relationships, death of loved ones, grief, interpersonal conflict, romance, flirting, references to sexual entanglements, and manipulation. The URL party encounters a child in a dangerous situation, but the child themselves is never endangered or threatened. The child is also not being manipulated magically, emotionally, or otherwise. Arc 7, Episode 5, A Shapeless Entity in Your Veins, from Sunset City, by Matteo Lara. On the nature and elevation of souls, personal log, Dragon 7, 382 AT. Unlike creatures which are too low to the ground, too ignoble, too mired in the material demands of survival, and unlike gods, which are too comely, too dominant, too invested in their own power, mortals possess the perfect blend of sapience and ignorance, faculty and impotence with which to escape the journey and achieve transcendence. Suffering is a necessary byproduct of living, that is, of having a soul. Tripticians across Andake have long since theorized that soul precedes mind, precedes body, an arrangement that the scholar Huin of the Locust Dynasty of Tulong wrote in 729 BT belies not importance, an inherently subjective mode of classification, but rather causality. Soul creates mind, creates body, as air creates breath and movement creates friction. 
So too does living create desire. A desire for the pursuit of pleasure, food, joy, wisdom, power, truth, love. But the soul's appetite can never be filled. When one desire is attained, another arises or is lost, which creates suffering, which is inescapable. You live, you suffer, you die. The only escape, or so we think, is death. But according to Pascal, Briarmaid, former paragon of the Raven Queen in 4942 BT, the after is comprised of conflicting and cogent demi-realities, outer planes formed by soul magic that cohere to the karmic weft of the soul of the deceased. In other words, even death is not a true escape from suffering. The after is not paradise. It is a room you go to when your soul dies until it reincarnates in the now or until it simply goes. But where does it go? Beyond? Elsewhere? Or nowhere at all? Jaron, mother's blessing is not a hot stone in your chest. It is not a sphere of darkness leeching a shadow into your soul. It's not a black sun burning with cold fire, searing your nerves with pain. It's a hole, a perforation in reality, a puncture wound in the tissue of existence. And it is inside you. What color is your soul? Jaron's soul, normally, is the same blackberry purple of his eyes. But I think as the mother's blessing was placed into his soul, created this hole, created this rift, and starts to spread, starts to corrupt, that color starts to fade a little bit, darken, and shift into something else entirely. And as this pain expands, metastasizes from within your chest and begins to leach into other aspects of your body, your bloodstream, your nerves, your central cardiovascular system, tell me, why doesn't Oka's blood tether snap? Because this time, it's different. This time, Jaron's romp with the empty as one might call it, is not for a desperate grasp at trying to save Oka's life, at trying to save the Paragons. This time it's not for knowledge or power or any of the reasons that they might have given you about why they made that deal with Adam before, about why that was necessary. This time it's genuine protection, genuine care for everyone. This time, it's to make sure that this blessing doesn't go into the hands of Lilith, of the stranger, 
It's to contain it, keep it away, prevent it from hurting other people. This time is different. Jaron, the distance between yourself and the empty is a kiss's width. And we pan over now to Sitlali. Sitlali is closing Adam's eyes. And they arrange the body in a more dignified pose while saying a prayer in raven speech. And as they do so, strands of black and gold and pink, blue, purple kind of knit their way over and around the body as she casts gentle repose to slow the, um, to like preserve the body. And Sitlali reaches out to the weave and entreats, take care of this vessel for me. Let me bring him home. I promised I would bring him home. Let me bring him home. And when the body is completely encased in these almost vines, the weave obliges. We see Adam just sort of fold gently into a different place, right? These threads sort of ribbon and lash their forms around his corpse and then completely cover him up in this glowing miasma of pinks, golds, blues, lavenders, and then there's a shimmer from top to bottom, almost like a cocoon, and then he's gone. And Sitlali, where does he go? Adam goes to a smallish space. It's modest. There's water running somewhere, almost decoratively, and it almost sounds like Karishma Bhattival's secret garden, but it's a little more sparse than that. Mm, mm. And I think you feel, even as you place his body somewhere for safekeeping, you feel that skull where you've tethered his soul rest kind of heavy against your body. And that's when you hear Jaron gasp involuntarily in pain. And I think once Silali throws the, uh, what used to be her holy symbol around her neck, uh, because it would be disrespectful at this point to throw that into a bag or a pocket, um, they turn to Jaron and what do they see, Humna? I think you see Jaron like, doubled over and their uh, hair is like covering their face, their broken horns kind of poking out of it. Uh, the threads, some of them kind of coming loose and undone, flowing onto the ground uh, in front of them. And as you turn around, I think Jaron looks up at you and their hair parts so you can see their eyes. And you see at first just their regular eyes, but then you see their pupils start to blow wide as if you had just shone a light in front of them and their pupils grow wider and wider and wider and they don't stop until it seems as if their pupils have taken over the entirety of their eyes black irises black scleras all of it and then they start to cry but they're not regular tears they're black inky tears of emptiness of nothingness just pouring out of his soul and I think Sitlali, still processing everything that just happened, Rapier just held limply in one hand, 
just kind of looks at Jaron and looks around. Where is it? Where's the 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 disc? What 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 you pulled out of him? Where 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 is it, Jaron? It's safe, said Lolly. Okay, safe where? And how? Where where is it, Jaron? I I took it. It's safe. Took it where, Jaron? You're right here. You haven't gone anywhere, Jaron. Where is it? And I think Jaron tries to stand up, but probably like falters a little bit, stumbling, and goes down back onto his knees and looks up at Sitlali. I have it. It's inside of me. It's safe. <sighs> no, 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 you didn't. You didn't do that. You, why, why would you do that? You, you've, you've. You've grown from from the last time that we met, Adam. You don't... You saw what it did to this poor, sad, fucking man. Why would you do that? You wouldn't do that. Where is it? Tell me where it actually is. Stop fucking around, Tron. I I couldn't let her have it. I couldn't let her have it. I can't let anyone hurt you with it. Not again. I saw... I saw what Adam did to you, and... It wouldn't have just gone away when he died. You saw what he did to me? Jaron, you barely fucking saw what he did to me. What I saw was enough to know. You know if you die with that in you, you can't go into your own after, right? I... I don't plan on doing that, Sulali. Yeah, well, I didn't, and they kind of pull aside the shirt to show the three marigolds that have bloomed on her chest. It came in handy in my case, but in this case, I don't really think it's serving any benefit. I'm sure Dewey can can whip something up to contain it that's more sustainable than a, a person, because that that is going to eat you alive. That might take some time, Sitlali, and we don't have time. Sitlali, do you... Do you trust me? Right now? No. I don't think I do. So, Lolly, it's not like that. Not like Dabathati. How? How is it not? And I think Sitlali is advancing at this point, and their grip has got on their rapier has gotten a little more correct. A little more... There's a more tension in that hand. Just like Oka taught them. And I think Jaron almost, like, crawls a little bit closer to Sitlali as well, unable to stand, unable to walk towards her. Because this time, none of you are going to be in danger. You're going to be safe. I'll make sure of it. Why is it your job, Jaron? Do you think I can't take care of myself? Do you think with Mercy here, I can't? Do you think with Oka here, I can't handle myself? God, sit, Lolly, you can. I know, you can. You've always been capable, but... Someone has to look out for you. Someone has to make sure. And, I mean, look what just happened. Are you okay? I'm fine. Are you okay? I did what had to be done, Jaron wish didn't have to be you. I'm sorry that it had to be you. Don't fucking apologize that you couldn't do it yourself. It's fine. I had to do it. I knew that I had to do it. I just... 
I can't let you leave with that, John. You have to. Don't tell me what I do and don't have Where to Where else do. will it go, Sitlali? In you, I don't think that that makes sense. You have a god shard to worry about. A connection to Sen that we can't open to the empty. Yes, well, Opa's not around, and I don't know, the last time you and the Empty had anything to do with each other didn't exactly go well, did it? And I think they're kind of, they've circled around Jaron and are pacing, and as she does, those, that inky star map of Endake swirls and I think extends into these almost bat-like looking wings behind them, and the sky is red. And I think as this happens, the shards of glass from the window panes start to slowly put themselves back together as if the window had never been broken. John, you're smart. Sometimes, allegedly, or at least I thought that at one point. Surely we can build something, put it in something that isn't you. Surely we can just contain it somewhere else. Surely I, we can tuck it away that somewhere. That will take time, sit lolly. Do you think Lilith you. Can, can, you think Lilith can't control you like this? It's a two-way connection, isn't it? Based on what we just saw, no, I don't think so. I think Lilith will eat you the, the fuck alive if this doesn't first. No, no, Adam... I saw him in the empty. If they're all connected, it's a two-way connection. I can... She won't get the better of me. Andron, you feel a... pounding in your chest like a heartbeat surging outside of your own consciousness of just pure pain thrumming and throbbing through your nervous system. And Sitlali, as that happens, you see Jaron kind of involuntarily jerk forward and like brand new gouts of pure black tears stream from the corners of his eyes and dribble down his chin. And there's like a a contortion movement that racks through Jaron as you feel that hole, that puncture wound in reality begin to widen inside you, Jaron, as this thing, this thing is trying to consume you from the inside out. And that is when, back in the chamber by the myriad Dewey, Vasanti, and Rev, Vasanti, at this point, you see that Dewey and the myriad have, like, calmed down, they're face-to-face, they're talking to each other now, but before you can really, like, gather your bearings or even, like, address Dewey, talk to Rev, or even look at the myriad, you feel Scott and Nectus roiling inside the pit of your chest, hugging you like a magnet trying to get to its other half toward that glass window that had just reversed time and resealed itself. And you see beyond that window, Jaron and Sitlali. And Jaron is doubled over in pain, contorting, sort of like twitching and thrashing, tears of pure black streaking down their face. And your god shard inside you is pulling you toward him urgently, anxiously, almost desperately. What do you do? He is going to get off the ground. She still has this giant laceration from the myriad attacking her from behind uh, earlier. And she's, she feels this tugging and she's like, um, kind of has to limp her way to this. Um, is there any type of entrance other than through this window to get 
to the other side of it? Not that you can see, no. But that tugging becomes more urgent, more urgent, like threads of the weave trying to impel and propel you forward. Vasanti casts Dimension Door to the other side of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think she wants to, like, blast the window again that just got repaired. Um, and she brings herself in the other room, and it takes a little bit out of her. She, it was painful. Her body, like, is still in a bit of pain. Um, and she looks at Jaron and Sitlali. What is going on? Sitlali, what, what happened? I don't think they look at you. But Silali is just staring at Jaron, and their fa- expression is completely unreadable, kind of like the day that you met them, Vasanti. Jaron, can you hear me? Are you are you okay? Yeah, yep. Vasanti, I'm fine. And he's not. I am fine, Silali. That's what I've been trying to tell you. He took Adam's little ability and put it inside themselves like a selfish little asshole who hasn't learned anything. It was to protect all of you. Where do you think it would have gone if nobody had taken it? Tron, what the hell did you do? Adam had mother's blessing inside of him. And before... Before Sitlali killed him, I took it. Why would you do that? That is the stupidest thing I could have ever imagined doing. (laughs) Isn't it just? I told you all it wouldn't have just disappeared. It would have... Is it better with Lilith? With the stranger? Tell me something, Jaron. Why do you always have to be the one who's right? Why do you always have to be the one who does the good thing? What is that about you? And I think Sivali's rapier floats up a little bit from where it had been. Adam's blood still coating it. I think Jaron, because he's still doubled over and like because you were pacing with having, like trying to follow you, but obviously having a difficult time doing so, both with the pain and the angles. So I think at this point, they just kind of like look over, uh, cock their head to one side as they feel the blade tip just like touch their ribs, perfectly poised in between two of them. And they look back down on the ground and see these tears flowing down, dropping one by one in quick succession onto his hands. (laughs) Let's just get this over with, why don't we? (laughs) Mercy told you, you could stab me once back in Dabathati, right? So do it, Sitlali, if it will make you feel better. I won't fight you. I'm not leaving you. Not this time. I'm here, by your side, whether you want me to or not, for good. Dewey, out in the test chamber, you and Rev and the Myriad, all three of you hear what's happening. 
in the room beyond. Their shouting voices echo past the glass, which doesn't seem to be soundproof. Uh, and you can hear, like, Sitlali and Vasanti and Jaron, like, shouting at each other. You can see, like, the rapier rise up and start to point toward Jaron's chest, even as the myriad sort of disentangles his kind of goopy, sloughing, like, blackish, black-furred, dog-headed form off of you. Uh, and he sort of turns and cocks, like, his head, like, one ear sort of flopping off to the side as he looks... <sighs> My, 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 my. Some classic infighting over there, hmm? And Rev turns to you, Dewey, and says, We we don't have time for this. The more time we waste, the more souls she desecrates to the empty. Cardu! And she throws out a hand for you to grab onto. Dewey grabs it hesitantly because he doesn't know where they stand right now. But yeah, I agree. Like, God, we don't have time for all this bickering again. Let's just go get them. As you grab onto Rev, she shoots a look at the myriad and says, We are not finished. And then there's a flurry of black raven feathers beyond and between and within and without you and Rev. And the two of you are inside that chamber with the rest of your party. Enough! And Rev storms forward, actually, and, like, bodily pushes herself between the blade point, Jaron, and you, Sitlali. And her eyes are just pure fury and urgency. We don't have time to bicker. I don't think Sitlali lets themselves be moved. I think Sitlali fights Rev with their own body. (sighs) Sitlali, come on. You know as well as I do how sacred these souls are to the Raven Queen. We can't let her desecrate them. And Sitlali's not hearing a word the Rev is saying. Sitlali! And Rev whirls around onto you, Jaron. Jaron! You should not have... Let me rip that thing out of your chest and fling it from here, okay? You don't get it. Lilith doesn't get it. Rev... They can all feel it. They will find it. She will find it. So? It's the end of the fucking world anyway. What's another little fucking sphere of nothingness, huh? Just let it go. Why are you so obsessed with this? Anything helps. Rev. And Sitlali shoves Rev out of the way, stabs the rapier down into Jaron's thigh, and kisses him. And I think Jaron, just before the kiss, as the blade is sinking into his thigh, like gasps. And that's when Sitlali kisses them. And at first they're surprised, but then they lean into it and kiss them back. And there's still the empty tears flowing down, I think now onto both of their lips as well. I think during all of this, Vasanti is List trying to listen more to Scott and Nectis clearly pulling at her and like trying to understand what is their deal. Like, why are they being so unbelievably like pushy about what's about bringing her to this spot right now? Yeah, as you sort of like put a hand on your chest and focus on these god shards within you, you feel them, you feel their presences coiling hard, fluid, bright like thunder and lightning and love and the edge of a blade and sweet, beautiful, fragrant perfume all at once. And you hear one voice, low and rolling and powerful, go, 
If they keep going in this direction, they're going to be too far gone. And then cutting in like a beam of starlight, like silver gilded against pure gold. Darling, we still have to try. We have to reach out to them. They're not too far gone yet. They need us. We need them. Vasanti. We need their help. They need our help. They can be our keeper. They can be our keeper. Vasanti hears all this and just mutters, Drawn? Keeper? Fuck. And Vasanti, as this kiss sort of ends between the two of them, Vasanti moves her way closer. Jaron, there's one way that you can make this all okay and and keep it. Uh, Scott and Nectis need you and you need them. Let let yourself be the keeper for Scott and Nectis. They can help you. Asante, what are you talking about? The gods are the reason that we're in this mess in the first place. The the gods have put us in a really terrible position, and yet the gods have saved my life more than once? I I know it's really a complicated relationship, but they're here to help you. They're here to help all of us as the best they can. I don't think that's what's going on. What was it that Adam said, Sitlali, about the Paragon's souls? The prophecy is a fucking lie. What? What? Lilith needed eight realized paragon souls to feed to some seed of annihilation that she's planning. The prophecy is a fucking lie. You die in your food for that, and it is reality ending. And Dake will die if you die, actually. You have to live. That's what I've been saying all along. Yes, we know you love to be right, and she pulls the rapier out of your thigh. And I think in a column of black liquid, the myriad crawls out of the floor and like sort of forms from this like pillar of just pure black miasma dog head suit. And he's sort of like bloodied looking, like beat up. He's like still kind of like sweating and hunched over, but he's got this like canine grin on his face, all gleaming white teeth as he leans against a pillar and says, As much as I enjoy all of this delicious infighting, and he sort of like licks his tongue like across his lips, there is a timer counting down, but please let's do circle back to that kiss no one's talking about, hmm? I think with footwork that Oka would be proud of, Sitlali kind of pivots to the myriad with blades still up. And, like, there's kind of a wild look in their eye. Otherwise, like, their face, I think their face is otherwise unreadable, but their eyes are kind of, there's something going on. Um, as they look at the myriad who killed Leaf. Killed Leaf. Killed Leaf. Emissary of Sin. 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 Killed Leaf. And, like, their hand with the blade, the outstretched blade, shakes a little and I don't think she can say anything as she just fucking looks at him and like 
refuses to put like the, these two extremely disparate points of cont- contention just refuse to resolve themselves within her. Oh, fascinatingly delicious. And the myriad turns his gaze onto you, Sitlali. I knew it. Sans touch. I can smell it lingering on you. What are you, Keeper of Sen? What a cute little title. You smell like her, too. That's right. The woman I killed. The prophet. Mm, her screams were delicious. And Rev whirls on the myriad and immediately has like his lapels in her fists and has slammed him up against a wall, like cratering it behind her. Shut your fucking mouth before I shut it for you, demon. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so scared. Fucking, uh, and there's just like pure aggression and hatred rolling off of Rev again, but she's like holding herself from killing him because she knows there's something greater at play and she actually, she punches her fist into the wall beside his head and like drops him, right? Like really hard, kind of throws him onto the ground with a thud and she whirls back onto the party. Whether or not the prophecy is true or false, we still have to get to Lilith. Are we done lollygagging? Or do we want to air out our entire family histories too? While souls are dying. I think Jaron uh, manages to finally get himself up, like with the help of the wall, um, limping on one side, given that there is a stab wound in one of his thighs. And they turn and look at Dewey, who I assume came with the Myriad, uh, while they were here. Dewey, you agree, right? If the prophecy is a lie, then Paragons can't die, right? I don't know, but I can't... I can't trust you around Lilith like this. You don't know? How can you just... You're gonna what? Hold on to a lie? When there are people that love you? That need you? Still here? Dewey, you have two kids. I'll hold on to whatever I need to to take care of them. If that means leaving you and this corruption behind, I don't have time for that. At that, Vasanti, you hear your gods' voices roiling and fighting and clashing within you, turbulence bubbling to the forefront of your consciousness. You hear Scott go... We can't leave him behind. He can't leave us behind, either. Visanti, their heart has to be open to us. You have to get him to open his heart to us. Please, let him see what we can do for him, what he can do for us by force or by reason. Visanti, please. All of that is churning into Visanti's heart, and I think Visanti looks at Jaron and says, if you want to make things better with Oka, you need to take Scott and Nectis into you right fucking now. I don't understand how the two are connected, Vasanti. Because if Oka, if Oka finds out what you just did and that you refuse to offer help, you two are done. 
And I think Jaron raises a hand, the left hand, where Oka and Jaron had made their blood promise to each other. And I think in that moment, it's the blood tether materializes around his fingers, snaking across his arm. I'm fine, Basanti. We're fine. Just because you didn't break that oath doesn't mean Oka will like what you've done when they find out. You are going to disappoint them so hard, and any chance you ever had of them loving you back will be shattered. This tether is all the evidence I need of Oka's love. It's a fucking blood oath. It's not love. It's a difference. You told me back at the Iron Citadel that you were trying to do different and look at you. You're just being the same selfish, manipulative, doing terrible things, thinking they're doing the right thing type person. And you are just putting us all in danger with with this. There's one way right now that you can make things better for yourself. And that's to take Scott and Nectus as their keeper and let them try to fight this corruption that is now firmly implanted inside of you. The prophecy is a lie. We don't need to sacrifice ourselves to the gods to make anything right. You're just as bad as Tyran, thinking you're more than gods. And the ground and the air and everything shakes as a massive tremor rocks through this chamber. I think we see cracks. Spiderweb up, up, up across the domed walls and the ceilings, uh, causing slices to come across the painted eyes all over every surface in this area. We also hear like a, a deep and simultaneously high-pitched kind of like snapping and vacuuming noise uh, as Rev actually staggers forward and gasps from the force of this like magical sensation as all of you see for a brief second flittering into visibility around you, souls. They're like flying down and across and up and all around toward a single terminal destination away from this place, souls. And you feel them like leaving the now, going elsewhere, down an intractable journey. And Rev, like, steadies herself, she finds her footing, looks up, and the urgency is in like full force. It is high octane desperation. <sighs> 43. We just lost 43 more fucking souls because the four of you won't stop bickering. I've had enough. And she disappears in a flurry of feathers and we see her like reappearing on the other end of this chamber where there was like a, a, a tiny little door sort of like carved into the wall the same kind of like semicircular door that all of you entered in from and we see her just sort of like punch her fist at it and like blast it down like knocking it off its hinges and it falls with like a massive thud into the corridor beyond i think Sitlali finally wrenches themselves away from the myriad and, like, with both hands, forces the rapier back into its sheath, turns to Jaron, takes him by the chin, and, like, turns his face to look at hers. You know, maybe you don't fucking change. Maybe that's what I fucking like about you so goddamn much. 
lets it go kind of roughly. Hey, Dewey, get us to Lilith now and follows where Rev is. You got it. Dewey, there's no door in this room. He takes a hammer out of his pack and smashes the glass window again. Uh, he turns ahead back to look at Jervon and says, Take the gods in or don't, but I thought I could trust you. And I won't let you near my family like this. And he leaves. Jaron just stays for a moment, I think, as the rest of the party scrambles out and just kind of says to themselves, show you all that you don't need the gods, and then follows afterwards. Jaron, Sitvali, Dewey, Vasanti, and Rev, the five of you plus the myriad, peel down hallway after hallway. You make sharp corners around corridors. You like get through shortcuts and Dewey points you toward through like these little chambers strewn with glass and blood and bodies and corpses and vile chemicals smoldering and eating into the tile and the plastic and the stainless steel. You run and you run. And you run through Sector 9-2, your feet pumping against the floor underneath you, your blood coursing through your veins, drawn, your chest tight from this hole of nothingness punched through your soul. As the five of you cascade through these corridors, Sitlali, Rev, while sprinting, I think is kind of looking sideways and down at you. Uh, specifically, her gaze is drawn toward that raven skull, uh, melded with silver, bumping against your sternum. Sibali, that better not be what I think it is. He's not a Vendake, Rev. There is no after for him, is, um, is there not? Let me take him. All right, let me put him in Grim. Give him a proper place to the after. I, he doesn't belong in that skull. He wanted to go home, and I promised I'd get him there. You promised, huh? Yeah, I did. So you can take it off my corpse if you'd like. No, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's fine. As long as you keep your promise. We've both sworn sacred oaths to the Raven Queen in one way or another, and we can't break them. You don't need to remind me of that. Sometimes I feel like I do, Sitlali. And I think Sitlali is thrown back to the, the moment that they met Rev in the court for a moment. Let's save it for after we fuck up Lilith, yeah? <sighs> yeah can't let any more souls go to the empty. Not on my fucking watch. We know. And I think at this, all of you sort of like draw to a kind of dead stop in front of the final door. Dewey, you recognize this door? I don't think you've ever been past it. You have personally never been inside Lilith's private workshop, but he walks past it. Uh, it is a vast door. Interestingly enough, uh, it is made of stainless steel like the rest of the doors, kind of like a half dome carved from like the floor up to the ceiling and back into the floor. But there's something interesting about the, um, the handle, the wheel, almost like on the door of a vault uh, that helps unlock it. Its spokes are made of wood this kind of deep, burnished oak. And the keypad that requires the password before you can go in uh, is also made of this kind of, like, wood inlay. Um, I haven't seen anything 
like wood in this wood is porous it has no place in like a lab like this right yeah super weird it's definitely <laughs> like the handles were definitely not like this the last time you were here but then again that was a couple of years ago is there any way for me to can i tell which of the buttons on the keypad are most used yeah why not uh as you glance at the keypad you sort of see the specific keys that have been scrubbed away at the most are the ones over e d and n okay so i put i input eden again there is a hissing of steam pistons and a whirring noise as the doors open horizontally splitting straight down the middle and you all enter into a vast laboratory. Shelves, books, cabinets, staircases spiraling up, up, up toward balcony landings that fan outward from the walls and overlook a central area. You think they're staircases at first, but then you realize they're tree trunks with steps carved into, out of, bark? Over there, you see wires, hanging tubes. Wait, no, those are vines. And are those scrolls open out on desks, or are they leaves, broad and ponderous, left open on many-fold surfaces? This chamber, this private workshop, looks like it was once a sterile lab. All white tile and stainless steel fixture, you see it underneath the nature that seems to be reclaiming it. Roots erupt from the floor, interwoven intricately with translucent tubing filled with this pulsing black liquid. Wires hang in thick clumps from banisters, no, branches, like thick bundles of stringed fruit. And the air here teems with the acrid smell of chemicals, yes, but also pollen, flowers. And at the very back of this lab, several dozen feet away, all of you see Lilith. She is a pale, gaunt, drow woman, threadbare and angular. And she's got this like long, thin, golden hair spooling past her face, her shoulders in these limpid pools. And her eyes are a washed out shade of blue like they were left in the sun to bleach. Her clothing is surprisingly informal, especially for such an occasion. She's wearing a woven tunic, these almost like practical workman's trousers, and boots. And she's sitting in a chair, no, a throne of black bone, obsidian, femurs, midnight, knuckles, and this throne is elevated atop, of course, a raised dais that towers over the lab. And all of these wires, all of this tubing, these roots, these vines, these leaves, this machinery, they all coalesce upon and connect at the throne, humming with empty magic. And every now and then, a pulse seems to emanate from the dais as another cluster of souls, you can feel them whooshing past the tubing here, is consecrated to the empty. And standing at the base of this dais, clipboard aloft, pink hair tied into a ponytail, 
is Hana. 14 years old, black eyes, wearing a lab coat with the logo of the URL stitched onto her chest. What do you all do? Dewey stops dead in his tracks at the entrance of this garden and just sort of stares at the back of this this girl that he doesn't know anymore in awe, in stunned silence. Um, like He only sees her back. He doesn't know who she is anymore, how she feels about him. All he can do is stand there with his friends at his back. Almost as though on a whim, Hana is like on the other side of this chamber, like several dozen feet away, right? But she's like consulting the clipboard, right? Like looking, she's like writing on it with some sort of pen. She's like looking up at Lilith and then she just sort of casually glances over her shoulder and she sees you. Across the foliage, across the whirring machinery, across the pulsing liquid, she sees you. Dewey. So you made it here. What? You want a congratulations or something? I wanted to apologize. Apologize? Apologize? Okay. I'm listening. And Dewey opens his mouth to apologize. To tell her what she needs to hear. Um, and nothing comes out. He doesn't, he doesn't know where to start. And he just stands there, like, open-jawed for an uncomfortable span of time. (sighs) Yeah. That's what I thought. And Lilith... One elbow propped on, like, an armrest of the throne with her knuckles, right, resting against her jaw. A smile that doesn't reach her eyes carves along the side of her mouth. What I tell you, Hana, he wouldn't have anything to say to you now, would he? You're right, Lilith. You're right about everything. And Hana sort of, like, turns stiffly and violently off to the side. Not her back to you, Dewey, but, like, off so you can only see her profile. If you know what's good for you and your friends, you should just leave. Get out of here. can't do that. I can't... I can't let you become what I was. What? A monster? Yeah. I'm sure you've got more names for you, or more names for me. You want to call? So the first thing you're going to call your daughter, without even asking her what she's doing here, without even asking her why she's working with Lilith, without even asking her, "Hey, Hana, what's on that clipboard?" Is monster? I was the monster, but the URL turns people into monsters, and I can't let that happen to you. (laughs) I'm not turning into a monster, Dewey. I'm turning into... I'm turning into what you never could have been. The greatest inventor ever. 
Dewey chuckles at that. Uh, you? <laughs> You're so much like me. So long ago. Not that long ago. Um, I That's all I ever wanted to do. And it made me abandon you. It made me choose my work over... You're... <laughs> I'm sorry, Dewey. Am I, am I hearing you right? Are you saying that your ambition, your genius, made you abandon me? That's what made you abandon me? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure it was you who abandoned me, who abandoned mom when we needed you. Who never wrote, who never... Did you, did you even try to get back to us? Or did you just give up? Tried, Hana. The, I couldn't tell you that they sent an assassin after me. I couldn't- What? That assassin? And she indicates the myriad standing next to you, and he sort of like raises his fingers and wobbles them at her. So you know. <sighs> yeah, because Lilith doesn't lie to me, Dewey. Lilith doesn't hide anything from me. She's honest. She knows what I'm capable of. She knows what I want. And how to help me get it. That's what's so dangerous about her. She saw me for who I was and who, what I wanted. I turned against the people, the only people in the world that really mattered to me. It's because of her and this damn place. Oh, oh so it's Lilith's fault. It's the URL's fault that you were such a bad dad, huh? They made you this way. She made you this way. Well, Lilith, are you going to apologize to me on Dewey's behalf? Hmm? And Lilith just, like, that smile stays and she <laughs> chuckles, but doesn't say anything. She keeps just watching. One cock of the head to the side, just observing Dewey and the rest of you. She hasn't interjected, hasn't, like, commanded monsters to attack. Nothing. She's just sitting on her throne, observing while this interaction is happening and the mother's blessing is coursing through Jaron's soul, can he feel any sort of connection, I assume to Lilith, but also to Hana? You do feel a connection, first of all, through like the various pulsing liquids coursing through various tubes. You get the sense it's mother's blood. And you do feel a lot of the source of the power pulsing and emanating from Lilith but not from Hana. Jaron takes in this information, recognizing that Hana isn't mired in all of this and stumbles over to Dewey. He knows Dewey does not want their help right now, but they stubbornly are going to whisper to Dewey, Hana, <clears throat> I can't feel her in the empty, but her, I can feel her. I know. She's not consumed yet. She's not corrupted yet. I just don't know how to keep it that way. Consumed. Corrupted, Cardu. How hurtful. <laughs> I don't corrupt Hana. I simply saw that she had a gift. And I was there to mentor her. Help her where you failed. Your daughter 
is a genius, Cardu. I thought you were talented. <laughs> 14 years old and she's already making breakthroughs that people nine times her age could have never done in a lifetime of research. She's very talented, very astute, a brilliant young woman. You said those same things about me when I started here. You built me up, and then you... You used my talents against me. Against you? Against you? For your you? own good. For your own benefit. <laughs> oh, Cardu, Cardu, Cardu. You and everyone else, your perspectives are so... Microbial. Little skittering bacterium across the surface of the world. Is it the fault of someone with more vision to use the talents of the people around her to their fullest potential when they could not on their own? You didn't see us as people, Lilith. Who are you kidding? I don't. <laughs> I cannot help but see as people. And Hana cuts in and just sort of says, like, looking at you, Doobie, and cocking her head to the side. What's that? And her eyes are glued on the god jar. It's something I made after I left the URL in order to come back and fix things. No. No, not the jar of holding. What? What's inside it? And Dewey, you hear a voice in your head go, Uh, Dad, is now a good time to do the whole sibling introduction thing, or...? Oh boy. Um... This is Dusty. They're a soul that came into being, and I am their caretaker. Uh, Dewey's my dad! And Dusty's voice rings out in everyone's minds. Like, they're sort of, like, projecting it so everyone in the room can hear. Uh, uh hi! Uh, hi, Hana! My name's Dusty. I've, uh, been really excited to meet you. I guess I'm technically your younger, or maybe older? Younger. No, yo definitely younger. I'm your younger sibling. Uh, I used to be a flying sword, but then, you know, a desk hit me and I gained sapience and sentience. Long story. But, um, hi! And I know, I know you're really mad at... Dewey right now, but um, he's been a really great dad to me. Well, he's tried. We've come to a, you know, to terms. He wasn't always great, but he tried. He tried really, really hard, and he, he loves you a lot, Hana. Okay, and he he just wants to make it up to you, and he's really he's really sorry. All right, about leaving you. He was trying to do what's best, and um, we've gone on so many adventures together, and I can't wait to share them all with you, and um, um. And Dusty kind of like trails off as there's just like absolute silence from Hana. Oh. You know, I'm not even surprised that you replaced me, but I am surprised and disappointed at myself at the fact that that still hurts. I am not replacing you. Adventures with Dusty being My adventures. to this soul. 
hard? We were doing everything to get here, to fix things, and to get back to you. Right. 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 You just, uh, had to take a couple of detours on the way, didn't you? Dewey, you can't blame me for making my own choices while you've been absent. Okay? I am choosing to help Lilith because I believe in her vision. Because I think she's right. That this world, this reality, it's not worth saving. But what she has planned is going to be amazing. So much better than all of this. This isn't, this isn't her first grand idea. The things she wanted to do to this world failed. I'm sure she's had big ideas and dreams in the past that have failed. She's just using your talent for her own benefit. Who knows what's going to happen in this next iteration she's trying out. On the Please. contrary, Dewey, I think the only failure here is you. And Lilith's eyes land upon you. Hana was right. Did you ever even try to take it off? I was waiting <laughs> for this moment. For you. Oh, so you were waiting to confront me with it. But you wouldn't do it for your daughter, for your wife? Don't talk to me like that. You are the one who put this on my wrist. You, by your design. By my design? <laughs> so I'm right. You didn't even try to take it off. How many ingredients are you missing, by the way? For the magical ritual to remove it, what is it, just one? From Uhanahi? You've been keeping that safe sound, huh? Haven't you? I've got the ingredients right here, Cardu. And she raises her hand into a fist and then turns it down outward so it's reaching out to you, but it's still curled up into a fist, like there's something inside it. And like that smile is staying on her face. And then one by one, she uncurls each finger to reveal in her palm nothing. Go on. Take it off. And Dewey's feathered fingers go to the clasp the the claspless band around his wrist. And he wraps his finger his, he wraps his fingers around his wrist and looks at Lilith. Not letting you tell me what to do anymore. <laughs> if this is a bomb, you set it off whenever you whenever you want to. I'm not letting you tell me what to do. <laughs> Cardu, it was never a bomb. I knew when I gave it to you, when I put it on your wrist, that you would never even try to take it off. So, it was the perfect device to torment you a little. Because you know why? You're too much of a coward. I knew you'd never try to take it off until now. You're your own greatest enemy, Quirk. If you'd had perhaps even a simulacrum of a backbone, maybe you would have tried 
But you didn't. And nothing could have convinced you to. Not your, what, dedication to Endake. Not your duty as Paragon. Certainly not your love for Uilani and Hana. None of those things were strong enough, were they? I didn't try to take it off because I was... I needed to come back for Hana. I was trying- that was me trying. <laughs> really? Yeah? Okay. Well, that is definitely one of the more roundabout and weirder apologies I've accepted and heard in my life. Is that all you want to say, Dewey? I have more- I have so many more apologies for you. I have so many more things to tell you, and so many things I'm sorry for, but please. Please, I need you to choose us over destroying the world. I really looked up to you, Dewey. I really did. When I was a kid, you were my hero. You weren't just my dad. You were... You were what I wanted to be when I grew up. A genius. An amazing inventor. A lead researcher at the URL. That was awesome. I boasted to all my friends about you. I even told mom, I want to be like dad when I grow up. Even after you left. You know, I never stopped hoping that you'd come back. That I'd one day walk out and there'd be a courier with a letter written from you for us. There'd be something, anything about what you were up to, anything at all. And the news of the Paragons broke. Paragons were back. Heroes of Dabathati. There you were, with everyone else. You're so smart, Dad. You're so smart. Why didn't you try to send the coded letter in a newspaper? Why didn't you try to scry through a protected channel? Why didn't you talk to a courier? Give them hush money. Give them some sort of device that would protect them and send them our way. Why didn't you? I don't know. I... So I stopped waiting on something I couldn't control. Which was you, Dewey. I stopped waiting for you to come back and apologize for all the missed school meetings and all the missed first steps and the missed milestones of my life. I stopped waiting for that. And the storm came and mom and I moved to the URL and that's where I met Lilith. And she saw that I was smart. She saw that I knew what I was doing. She saw that I had something I could offer to this world, something that I wanted to share with you, Dewey, but you weren't there. And Lilith told me about her plan. She told me about her vision, about the garden. And it's beautiful, Dewey. It's, it's a beautiful vision. And the best part about it is, in the garden, I'm not gonna hurt. No one's gonna be there to hurt me. Everything is going to be perfect. 
Hana, you're a student of the sciences, the natural world. You know nothing can be perfect. And I am not saying that as a comparison. That things are not perfect with me either. I know. But Lilith showed me I don't have to settle for imperfection. Because you're right, Dewey. Under the laws of this reality, no such thing as perfection. But in the next. Uh, and Lilith sort of chimes in at this point. <laughs> Hana, Hana, Hana. Cardu, you know that I would never put her in danger, right? She saw what I was doing with the empty, the beasts, the monsters, the bodiless, the mindless. Oh, you call them chrysalis, of course. But they have truer names than that, even though truth doesn't exactly exist. She's not interested in the nothing plane. She's interested in what comes after, and I've been respectful of that. You'll see that there is no trace of empty magic on her, but her brilliant mind is something I can use. After the seed blooms. And what exactly do you have planned for after the after? That smile widens and sort of shows off like sharp predatory teeth as she's sort of just like enjoying stringing you along on the end of that question and not offering you an immediate answer. And I want to know at this point, Jaron, Sitlali, and Vasanti, what do the three of you do? I think Vasanti starts doing like a slow clap. And um, she's going to approach a little bit closer to Hana and, and Lilith and be like, I must say, Lilith, what you've managed to do here is quite impressive. I'm actually, I, I admire what you're doing here. I'm sure you know who me, I'm Vasanti Nakshurzo, Paragon, Scott, Nectis, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that we've learned that the prophecy that we were told is false. And I'm thinking about the people who, oh, you know, told us about said prophecy and all the rumors around it. And I'm looking at my associates here and everything I've done in my life has been to survive and what Hana is saying here sounds pretty nice a garden perfection escape so I'm curious do you need me to die or do you just need Scott and Nectis to uh, do your little plans because if so I'm willing to just offer them up to you for a ticket <laughs> for maybe a couple people to uh, come away with you. Oh, Vasanti, I thought you swore to leave V behind back in the Citadel, but here I see her before me. Well, you could say that uh, life happens in the last little while here, and quite honestly, everyone says it, right? Everyone's, we don't stand a chance, and the Paragons are going to die, and it's going to be terrible, uh, so like... Why should I have to die if I can just give you what you want? Oh, Vasanti. You know what I see when I look at you. And Lilith's washed-out gaze falls upon you, Vasanti. Those blue eyes are piercing you. A smile stays on her face, and she says, 
I see. Trust issues. I see an identity wrapped up in so many lies, you don't even know who you are without them. And I see selfishness cloaked as survival. You don't trust anyone, do you? A better question, who trusts you, Vasanti? Who are you beyond your lies, your manipulation, the people you've used and left? You see, the best liars believe their deceptions just a little, just enough to sell it. But you don't just believe your lies, Vasanti. You are your lies. And now that you're untangling your deceptions, pulling on these falsehoods you've spun around your true self, unraveling V from Vasanti, you're scared, aren't you? You're so scared. Scared of what you'll find underneath the lies. Scared you won't like it. Scared that maybe at the end of your journey, you'll pull away that final layer of deception to find nothing. Because you are your lies. Because all you know how to do is lie. Lie, manipulate, deceive, cheat, betray. What are you without it? Nothing. I think uh, Vasanti closes her eyes and there is like a couple of tears just slowly going down her cheeks. I think she just left speechless. I don't think she has any fun retort. She just is left shell-shocked. It's Rev who steps forward defensively as she like holds out an arm and grim ribbons into existence in her palm. You don't know anything about Vasanti. You don't know anything about any of the people here, the Paragons, Sitlali, Jaron, even that fucking demon. You don't know me. All right, who are you to sit on your throne and desecrate souls to the empty while... Ah, Mist Stiltwalker. Brought back, animated by the shame the humiliation of your failure. Right, 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 of course. You paladin of righteousness bound to duty, justice, nobility. You're so clouded by it that it prevents you from empathizing, doesn't it? You think your way is the right way, that as long as you're fighting for a righteous cause, you can justify any manner of violence and cruelty to the people you love, to the people you think are wrong. <sighs> you say love brought you back, but you and I both know the truth. It was hatred. I don't blame you. Hatred is a lot stronger than love. You, you're, you're, you're wrong. It's not. Love is, it's, what? It's what binds you here now. 
Vasanti? It wasn't even strong enough to save Leaf. He like Sitlali this entire time has not been able to stand still and has been looking around at everything without like approaching, but like taking everything in and inspecting it because you know, they can't sit still. Their brain doesn't stop working. They don't quit. They don't. So they haven't really been paying attention to the whole Hana Dewey stuff because they're like cool, fascinating, interesting. Anyway, what's this? What are these? What are those? How did she do this? What's going on? So like, am I, did I figure anything out? Did I figure out shit? Like, I'll just tell you. Because okay. of your connection to the weave, these flowers, these plants, these roots, they are not of natural origin. They're of a magical origin. And they don't even really belong to any school of magic you can classify. Kind of similar to Dr. Luso's just like innate primal magic, that seems to be what these vines and roots have spawned from. Almost like they were willed into existence. And I think Sitlali finds that very exciting. And I think Sitlali kind of forgets where they are and what they're doing and why they're supposed to be there. And by the time they wander their way up to the dais where Lilith is, she can't take her eyes off of all of the fucking fascinating things. And they just say, how? In what garden do you have planned? <sighs> oh, Sitlali Thornheart. This is ontological magic. Darling, it's preceptual. Preceptual, which would mean in this case, pre-what exactly? Oh, Sitlali, I'm glad we're finally meeting face to face, because it is true what I've been told now that I look at you. And Lilith turns her gaze, like tears it off of Rev and Visanti who are reeling, to you. And just like Visanti, you get the sense that you are being like analyzed. She's like looking you up and down, left to right, and then she sort of smiles and cocks her head to the side and it is an uncomfortable feeling because it's almost like someone looking at you and being like, I know your vibe. I know what you're all about. And Lilith says, I heard about what you did in the court. Which time? You'll have to be more specific. Oh, the time you tried to play God, of course. <laughs> I don't even necessarily think that's a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when dull people try to do it, but you're not dull, are you? No, you are. You're always thinking, looking, thinking, devising, paranoid, hypervigilant, and yet you are so guarded. There's such a wall around your heart, Sitlali. You don't just let anyone in, do you? Your mind is always turning. It never rests. You're like a shark. If you stop moving, you die. 
You can never just let a good thing be, can you? You think you've come so far, and perhaps you have, but growth is a never-ending struggle against your worst self, Sibali. One mistake, one regression. That's all it takes. So I don't blame you for being scared of trusting, of showing weakness, of letting people in not because of what they might do to you, Sibali, but what you might do to them. Joy, was it? You don't deserve to say that name. Neither do I, frankly. Are there... Question for the GM. Go ahead. There's stairs. Yeah, there are stairs. Way up to the dais. Leading, it's a, a big dais. You're sort of like at the foot of it looking up at her. Yeah, there are stairs leading all the way up. And Hana is at the base still like consulting the clipboard, looking at you warily, glancing up at Lilith and looking between you. Like she's wondering like, does she have to cut in here? But Lilith just sort of raises a hand and like flicks it dismissively. Like, don't bother. Right? She's like toying with you, Sibali almost. And she, you know, Head cocked to one side, considering you at the base of the altar. If they're phased by what Lilith has said, it doesn't show. And they just kind of slowly make their way up those stairs. They kind of, like, pause at the bottom and look to Hana. <laughs> and then take a step up. You can go if you want. It's not like any of you can hurt her. This is so interesting. Aren't we having fun, Lilith? Is it fun for you to treat other people's souls like pawns? Isn't that what you do? Doing what I must to achieve my goals is one thing. Deriving enjoyment from suffering? Well, that's just pure evil. And pure evil is something that you're quite acquainted with. Evil is subjective, Sitlali. Don't be trite. <laughs> and Sitlali laughs when they come to stand in front of Lilith. She leans down and rests one elbow on the side that Lilith isn't leaning on so that their faces are quite close together. And that inky star map kind of pulls out into wings again. Raven wings this time. Ghostly, inky, some feathers black, others in the pastels that make up Lolly's hair. And they look Lilith dead in the eye and cock their head to one side. And her pupils split so that there are two of them. And Lolly leans in and says, What brought you here to this moment, Lilith? What is it about the empty that really captured you? And I'd like to use the eyes of change. Okay! Uh, what does that look like? So Lolly's wings expand to envelop both Lilith and themselves. And then reality around inside of that compresses and time 
is different as we move through Lilith's conscious, subconscious, soul, whatever we want to call it in this moment, to the moment, the defining moment for her. And things become rather two-dimensional almost within there. Mmm, I like it. It's like cutting to a completely different animation style. As soon as you like use this power, when it emanates outward from you, so sit lolly. You know innately that with this keeper power, it's usually something only you have access to. Only you get to see this. But even as your wings unfurl and your pupils split, right, form a kind of spiritual mitosis, uh, and you lean into Lilith and you lock eyes with her, she cocks that head to the side, that maddening, infuriating smile still plastered on her face, and she lifts her hand to your cheek. Even as you watch the world turn two-dimensional, touches you and says, let's share with the class, shall we? And this entire area turns 2D for everyone to see what you see. All of you see Lilith. Younger, much younger, with short golden hair still hanging in front of her eyes. She's kneeling in the rich black soil of a Nuhanian garden. It smells like salt water and flowers. And Lilith is digging. Amidst the orchids, the hibiscus, the birds of paradise, the plumeria, we find Lilith pawing through the dirt, fingernails caked with soil. She's arm deep in this fragrant loam, turning the earth with urgent hands until she finally, finally pulls out a seed. A perfectly spherical, marble-sized black seed. She holds it carefully, tenderly, between thumb and forefinger, inspects it closely, with a pale, washed-out eye. And then she opens her mouth and swallows it. Her pupils widen, blacks surge outward, 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 until they consume everything, until her eyes are pure void. And we push in on that void until everything around us is swallowed by nothingness. And we see Lilith again, standing in a black room. No, it's not a room. The color isn't black. It's nothing at all. Lilith is standing in nothing. Are you there? Is it, uh, oblivion? And a voice coils out of the never. A person's voice. A vessel's. Oh, my. No mortals ever reached me before I reached them first. You're real. I knew it. I knew it. There's no history about you, no literature, no knowledge, because 
Well, it's an Ouroboros, isn't it? A snake eating its own tail. The world you consume, the realities you annihilate, they don't die. They simply cease to have existed in the first place. Clever girl. What do you want? The same thing as you. I am sick of this, this... journey? Is that how you conceptualized it? Is that the framework that structures existence? Not me. The other precepts. I've been chasing them a long time. Precepts. The innate laws of the universe. The architects of reality. This reality. Is that a meaningful distinction for you? <sighs> I was born with a gift and a curse. I know everything about the other people around me all the time. Their loves, their hates, their fears, their dreams. I am a raw nerve. It's not overwhelming, necessarily. That's not what bothers me. It's revealing. I know all the good that courses through everyone. I know all the bad, too. I've lived like this for 190 years. And you know what I found? That at the end of the day, people are selfish. They are arrogant, they are cowardly, they are foolish, they are grief-struck things living for those few snatches of peace when something makes sense. But that beautiful, dark peace isn't worth the loud, angry, noiseless chaos. I don't want to end reality forever like I think you do. I just want to end this one. Replace it with a better world. A more suitable set of rules. An existence of my own design. And you can help me, can't you? Fascinating. Huh. Well, it is true, I have been searching for a suitable host reality for some time now. Time being relative, being subjective, being non-truth. But there are laws to the journey, you see. Laws even I must obey. For every reality I devour, Lilith, an infinity more emerge. After all, the journey never ends. Well, until now. You see, there is an object weapon creature with me. A necessary byproduct of my manifestation in existence. You, uh, you swallowed a version of it when you opened this line to me. 
What was it that you sacrificed to get my attention? It tasted quite bitter. <sighs> the dreams I used to have. But they don't matter anymore. All that matters is this. And Dake can be your host, Oblivion. You can come here, plant your seed. That's what it is. It's a seed. Well, if you insist, sure, we can call it a seed. Time and space are, I suppose, in our favor. When I reach your world, you wouldn't have been born yet. Not for upwards of 5,000 years. Perfect. Then I can prepare the world now for when the seed blooms. I can weaken it for you. Hide your influence. Need your help. And then, appearing in front of Lilith, Oblivion. And Lilith is breathless. And Oblivion takes an eye from their face and a wing from their back and gives them to her. And the two-dimensionality expands, becomes four-dimensional again, and Setlali, you are gasping, air flooding back into your lungs. You are at the very pinnacle, the zenith of this day is staring into Lilith's eyes even as she cups your cheeks, even as this 2D reality bleeds away from the rest of your party, and you see Lilith smile and say, the bodiless, and the chrysalis unfurls behind her. <laughs> A tessellation of alabaster white wings dwarfing your own. The mindless. And exploding into existence above her head. A halo? No, it's much too big to be a halo. It is a massive eye reminding you of the aspect of the stranger that appeared above the pagoda back in Jukai. A huge, unblinking red eye with black scleras, a constantly shifting pupil, left, right, left, right, scanning everything. Gifts from the empty, from the stranger from oblivion, necessary for the task of preparing Endake for annihilation. I incubated the bodiless, which you call the chrysalis, so it would be the perfect soul-harvesting machine on Adolin. I infused it with mother's blood that the mindless provides. And you see a massive teardrop of pure black liquid well up and ooze on the bottom periphery of the mindless above and behind Lilith's head. Of course, my plans were thrown for a little bit of a loop when Adam arrived, spoke to the bodiless, but we struck up a deal after that. He proved himself useful until he wasn't. Does that satisfy? 
your desire for knowledge. I think we both know the answer to that question. I want to know what Jaron and Dewey are doing. During this whole time, I think before the vision, before the 2D animation, Jaron had been only about half here, like only half present, because mostly they were trying to sink into that feeling of the empty, into that mother's blessing inside of him, and trying to find that connection to Lilith, trying to figure out and in a slip in her armor, something, a weak point, something to pull at a thread to unravel her with. And I think that's what they were looking for when the vision happened. Do I find anything? Do I learn any information? Jaron, how are you trying to pull on this empty thread that you can feel brimming out of the hole inside your soul? Jaron recognizes that they have a very tenuous sort of connection to the empty at this point. Um, it hasn't quite fully settled in yet. And so knowing that these tubes, these vines around them are teeming with mother's blood, I think they went over to one of them just as everybody else was, you know, talking and interacting, ripped one open. And I imagine like some of the black liquid sort of like oozes out of it and they take it and they allow it to sort of, almost like a salve, sort of like bleed into their skin as they try to strengthen that connection just enough, just enough to understand Lilith, to understand where she might be able to be struck down. And without tearing her gaze off of Sit Lolly, Lilith says she's not even looking in your direction. As far as you know, Jerome, she hasn't even noticed you. Lilith says, Jaron Cotter, don't you know that when you look into the abyss, it looks back and you feel that fluid well up, like it starts shaping itself, it starts moving and it starts to repel itself like around your arm. Uh, Jaron instantly tries to uh like push it off like physically at first and i imagine that doesn't do anything and so they think back into their connection to the empty this new power that they found with mother's blessing and they command it to release him do you use adam's voice or your own my own i assume uh is that what you say release me yes as you say it, this empty goo pauses like a snake coiled around your forearm, right? And it pauses, it stops squeezing to the extent of pain, it loosens. And then Lilith's still looking at Sitlali like there's some sort of marvelous little creature under a microscope that she loves to examine. She laughs and she says, You and Sitlali both, you thirst for knowledge, don't you? But your thirst is different too. See you, Jaron Cotter. You're a martyr. <laughs> you won't ask for help. You have an obstinance to your core. And all of this 
your ambition, your martyrdom, your stubbornness, you know what all of that adds up to? Hubris? The stubborn belief that you know best. That you're going to save everyone because wait, wait, you figured it out. You'll put my aspects, power inside you and save the day because you're so special. You're so smart. They're all sheep, but not you. You're the savior, the golden child, the perfect little explorer with your tools and your toys and your instruments and your arrogance. And the best part is, you justify your horrible decisions by saying it's for love. Does the syrup make the poison go down? And I think hearing all of these words, it it increases that sense of frustration and that sense of anger and that sense of nobody is listening inside of Jaron. And they sink back into the empty magic and they try and tug on this thread that connects it to Lilith. And they try and maneuver her body specifically through the empty, that magic that is flowing within her to get her to stop talking, to shut her mouth from the inside. As you lash out, it's like this hole seems to like widen inside you. And as that occurs, Vasanti, you're snapped out of your like emotional stupor. I think as you feel Scott and Ectus start to legitimately freak out. You hear Vasanti in your voice, and Jaron, you hear in yours as you like, oh, like you try to wield this empty power, even as it consumes you from the inside. It's getting bigger and bigger, beginning to eat that like purple soul and turn it void and empty and vacuous. You hear Scott and Nectus in your ear urgently, and so do you, Vasanti. Scott goes, Jaron, become our keeper. You can't wield this power alone. Jaron, it will destroy you. Please, will you be our keeper? No. I can't. And even as you say that, you feel that blood oath, that rope binding you and Oaken together on your wrist. It pulls and pulls and pulls as you reject Scott and Nectus, like, like it's responding to that, but it still doesn't snap. It goes threadbare. It's hanging on to it like a single gossamer thread, like the threads that weave around that single horn, but it doesn't snap because it's still love, Jaron. You're still driven by love, your love for Oka. And Lilith cocks her head to one side, looking at you, Jaron, her eyes flicking you up and down, tearing her gaze from Sitlali at last. And she says, Oh. So that's what's keeping you tethered. Your love. Where is it? Here? And she reaches out and grabs it. She just reaches out and holds onto that blood oath. Like she pulls it out of the air, like she's plucking a string from the weave, just like how you manipulate magic, Sitlali. And we see it glowing like a blood red thread, like a rope in the air. And you feel it tug on your wrist, even as you're trying to control her from the inside, right? And you feel that connection get 
jerked forward, and she like sort of like looks at the blood tether, like curiously. Huh. My, 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 a very powerful hemomancer created this oath, didn't they? A paragon, even. One might call this oath unbreakable, but let me show you just how weak your love is in the face of me. And I don't even need these to do this. She raises a hand and lowers it, and the chrysalis and the mindless, the eye, they vanish like she dismisses them. And then she forms the hand that's holding onto your blood oath into like a, almost like a scissor shape, right? She like holds out an index finger and a middle finger and she cuts. Jerron barrels forward at that immediately, like running across the room towards her. As you're booking it, it's like in slow motion, you see those two fingers come together and the thread snaps. Like a guitar string being cut, it lashes backward. And I think disconnected from Oka, it hits you. It hits you like a steel freight train right in the center of your soul where the emptiness is growing. Jaron, as soon as the cord is cut, I think physically cannot move any further. And they stop in their tracks. And I think that freight train, as you described it, hits him straight square in the chest and he falls to his knees. Maybe like right at the foot of the dais, looking up at Lilith, looking up at Sitlali, who is still up there. And the void in their eyes, I think, starts to almost seep out beyond their eyes. And you can see little black veins start to form on their skin, covering their scales. And those tears run faster than they have before. What have you done? What have I done? This was all you. And Jaron, roll me a d100. Okay, I got a... I got a 26. Roll a second one. Okay, I'm scared. 36? You lose 62 hit points. As you stumble forward and that string snaps, the emptiness enlarges inside you, and those 62 hit points you also lose off your max HP. And I want to for a crystal fragment of a moment, pan to Dewey, as all this shit is popping off. Dewey has been seeing this massive eye and wings, everything popping up around Lilith. He's begun surreptitiously creeping over the grass between him and his daughter. Her back is turned to him. His only instinct is to protect her from whatever is about to happen. Um, but as I think, the eyes and the wings retract. He is trying to get close enough to see what is on that clipboard that Hana's holding. Okay, yeah. Uh, Dewey, as you inch closer to Hana, she turns and looks at you. She notices you. Uh, she turns and looks at you. I think this is happening while people have been talking to Lilith, even uh, before Jaron gets their shit wrecked. Uh, and she looks at you and she says, Dewey, I, I don't want to talk to you. You're clearly not even going to try to understand my perspective and what are you... Try to look at my clipboard? What are you looking at? What are you studying that you would sacrifice everything for? 
I'm tracking how many souls have already been given to the seed. So I know how many, how many flowers I should plant in the garden to honor them after all of this is done. Lilith thinks that's a sign of weakness, but I, I've convinced her to keep that. So there's still something in you that knows that this is all wrong. Dewey. Lilith was there for me when I needed someone to be there for me. When I needed someone to tell me that I have talent. I have worth. I can change the world for the better. Mom's so busy with just surviving, putting food on the table, keeping me safe, that she doesn't have time to help me thrive. Not just survive. But Lilith, Lilith was there for me when I needed, when I needed you. And I think Dewey takes a couple steps back. Oh, so he's not like encroaching on her space. And because the words hurt and he doesn't want to hurt her anymore. Dewey, I am in Lilith Cutton. Uh, as Jeron's like falling to their knees, as like the pain is expanding their chest, as Sitlali's up there right by Lilith, as Visanti's still reeling, feeling Scott and Nectus, I think they also felt that string being cut, and Visanti, these gods inside you are crying out loud. They are, they are so scared, not just for themselves, but for Jeron. And you know it. You know they are terrified for Jaron. And Rev is also still reeling. Her hand is up. She's looking from side to side. And Lilith cuts in and she says, See, that's why I'm not too worried about my chances here. You're up here, Sitlali. Jaron's down there. Dewey's all the way over there with Hana. Vasanti's in the back. The myriads skulking in a corner. You, uh, all of you versus Oblivion? Tungal's paragons put up more of a united front than this. Look at you all. Look at you all. And we do look at you all. We pan from Sitlali up on the throne, like wings out, looking like a motherfucking demigod, right? Facing off against Lilith. We pan down to Jaron, that blood rope severed, like eyes completely black, tears of pure, empty liquid sloughing off his face. We pan to Dewey, backing away from Hana, looking at her, trying to connect with her, but unable. We pan to Vasanti and Rev, caught off guard, off balance, unsure how to proceed. Back to Lilith. You're all so willing to sacrifice and hurt and die for each other, but you can't even do the bare minimum of asking each other for help. Not in a real way. Because guess what? That would mean letting people in. Admitting weakness. Showing your soft and pitiful hearts. And now you stand against me, that is true. But you're not united. You're scattered. Weak. Fighting not just me, but yourselves. Each other. How can you possibly win? You see, that is the difference between you and me. 
when I am weak, I admit it. When I need help, I asked for it. Uh, and the eye opens back up behind her. The chrysalis wings unfurl once more. And she, like, raises her hand once more and says, Enough of this. I've toyed with my food long enough. Let me show each of you exactly how fucked you are. And she throws her arm down. And on her throwing it down, we all hear Hana actually shout out, Wait! Lilith, not my dad! And it's the first time she ever refers to Dewey as her dad since you met her. But it's too late. Reality around all of you, this laboratory, it bleeds away like water off canvas and leeching in to take its place. Well, my darlings, is a garden. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Lyle and Peanut, Matt Sweeney, Purple Mouse, Riley, Spencer Critchfield, Scruffesis, and Target.